Well, a good storyline grips us, doesn't it? Whether it's a movie or a book or a TV show, we get pulled in by characters, plots, themes. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of not being able to put a book down or binge-watching a show or having the movie you watched the night before just kind of fill and pervade your consciousness the entire next day. A story draws us in because we live in a story. So this morning, church, we're beginning, Lord willing, what what will be eight Sundays thinking about the church. And the amazing thing is that as the church and as a church, we are part of a story. The story has had many chapters written already, but it's far from over. And the best is yet to come. And the church is one of the the main characters in this drama. See, why are we a church? What's our purpose? What do we do and why do we do it? It's these questions we want to think about more broadly this morning. Because if the church is more than a social club, what is it? If the church is broken and it's hurt people, why? And where do we go from there? Do we construct, deconstruct, and leave the church? Or do we persevere because we understand the church is worth it? Well, by God's grace, we'll dig into some of the nuts and bolts of what we do as a local church in the weeks to come. We'll consider questions like, what does it mean to be a church member? Why do we have elders? Why do we have deacons? Why do we do baptism? Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? But for today, we're going to sort of fly at a 30,000-foot altitude and look again at the the story, the storyline of the world, the storyline of creation, and try to remember the reason for the church as a whole. And my hope is that as we get this big-picture view, we'll be reminded of our main purpose and encouraged as we persevere together as a church. So two points for us church family today. The story and the glory. The story and the glory. So first, the story. So I want to have you turn to your Bibles a little bit today, okay? Because we don't have one text. So let's go to certain parts of your Bible. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. So table of contents. Come to the very beginning of the story, which is the very best place to start. And here in Genesis 1, we see the week of creation. God has been putting together the universe with no raw materials, simply the breath of his voice. And then on the sixth day of creation, God creates something totally different than anything he's created up to the point. Genesis 1, verse 26. Follow along with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So right when humans are created, they're given the purpose of their existence as humanity. We are image bearers of God and we're given the task of filling the earth with his image and bringing glory to him. See, God didn't create the universe, the world, you and me, because he was lonely. God has forever existed in Trinity, right? Father, Son, Spirit. That's the perfect community. You can't improve on that. And so bringing us in on that loving relationship was not to somehow complete it as if it was lacking, but to share in it. To bring God glory in and through us and our lives. That's our purpose, and that's how the story begins. And God says, this is good. But a few chapters later, it all goes south. Turn to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They're living their lives under the rule of God in harmony and joy. They're bringing him glory. But then the tempter comes and he draws their attention away from God. He convinces them that God has lied to them and they shouldn't trust him. They should instead seek glory for themselves, not him. Remember why they're created? They're created to fill the world with image bearers of Jesus, of God, bringing glory to him. And now Satan is saying, no, seek glory for you, not him. It's a test, and they fail miserably. They believe the words of the serpent, not the words of their creator. And they invert their entire purpose. Their design was to flourish when they bring glory to God. But they instead choose to bring glory to themselves. And that doesn't lead to more flourishing, but instead capsizes their entire purpose of existence. And with their rebellion goes their happiness, their hope, and their meaning. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent the man out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so Adam and Eve have been driven out of God's place. They have rejected his rule, and creation has fallen into corruption as a result. God the judge has placed a curse on his creation because he is good and just and cannot tolerate sin. If you think about it, it's loving of God to punish like this. Because he loves his creation. And he loves the way that he's designed them. And he knows they're going to love it too. This idea of bringing glory to him as as his image bearers. Filling the world with his glory. But now that they've turned aside from his design, it would be terribly unloving for him simply to let them go their merry way. In a life that will lead to their misery and ultimately their destruction. And so he judges them. But he is merciful. And he does not condemn them to death immediately, but covers them with a sacrifice in verse 21, even as he casts them away from his presence. Remember that when he takes the the skins and covers them? So that's the first chapters of our story, right? Situation grim. 
What is humanity to do now? Well, they can't do anything. They're separated from God and they can't work their way back. But God is merciful and he has a plan. He makes a covenant with a man named Abram. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Just a few pages over. There in verse 2, the Lord says, And I will make of you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is showing great mercy in promising that there will still be blessing in and through his image bearers. Even though creation is under a curse. He says, I'm going to see to it. This is my promise. And in Abraham's grandson, Jacob, this promise evolves and it takes on more shape as Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And God enters into a covenant then with the nation of Israel. Right? All of this looking ahead to see how he can restore glory to his name as creation was originally meant to go. So flip over to Exodus 19, next book of the Bible. A lot has happened by this point in the story. Israel has been enslaved in Egypt. And they've cried out for help. God has sent, answered by sending a deliverer named Moses. And God's people, Israel, have been brought out of bondage into the service of the Lord. Right? They've traded in one, one king, Pharaoh, for another king, Yahweh. And as God's delivered people, they come now to the mountain of Sinai. Remember, sin is still very much in the picture here. And so God's people cannot just go back to sort of an Edenic fellowship with God, like, like Eden. He's holy, they're sinful, but he has a plan. And so the story keeps going. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. This is Yahweh speaking through Moses to Israel, and he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God is recreating a people for himself to serve him, to bring him glory. The very reason he existed, he created humanity in the first place. And somehow, as he promises, through Abraham's descendants, he'll fill the earth with his glory. He'll bring glory to the whole earth. He'll bless the whole earth, all the families of it. In Exodus, we see Israel is set apart then as a distinct people of God, those who have received his mercy and follow him. And through them, God will get himself glory. Again, the whole purpose for which he created everything. So in Exodus, God gives Moses a law, a way for his people to come back into fellowship with him through obedience and sacrifice Remember, we, we studied this about three years ago. I loved that study. But if you might remember from then or from your own private study, that they, they constructed a tabernacle. 
And in that tabernacle, cherubim decorate the curtain that separates Israel from the most holy of holies. Just like cherubim guarded the outside of the Garden of Eden. And so, as the tabernacle traverses the wilderness with Israel, God is recreating another Adam, Israel, and another Garden of Eden in the tabernacle. This time all mediated through sacrifice. But just like the first Adam, this next Adam fails too, badly. Throughout the entire rest of the Old Testament, we see how Israel, this sort of second Adam, is tempted to turn their worship away from their creator, like that first Adam was. And again and again, they turn to false gods. They trust in their own strength and they fail. So God ultimately sends Israel into exile away from his presence again. Just like Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, which is the presence of God, now Israel is cast out from the temple into exile. They have turned the glory in on themselves, and they also are cast out. But that's not the end of the story. The storyline keeps going. God still reaches out to his people in mercy through covenant. So turn with me, this time a long ways, to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet who spoke God's words to his people while they were in exile. In chapter 36 and verse 24, we read God's words. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes And be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. This is a new covenant God is promising. Where he will not only give a law, but a new heart. And he will give his very own spirit to be within his people. Even in their idolatry. Even in their exile, God promises that the storyline of getting glory from his people will keep going. And as the New Testament dawns, so does the new covenant. The one God had promised who would crush the serpent's head, the one who would walk in perfect obedience to his law, the big perfect prophet after Moses, the king in the line of David, comes in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the perfect Adam. Jesus was the perfect Israel. So turn with me to Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. 
Luke writes, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returning, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. The storyline continues. Jesus, like Adam, is tempted and tried. He is the last Adam. So this time, will God receive the glory he's worthy of? Jesus also here is the second Israel. Like Israel, he's in the wilderness. And just like Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. See all these connections? He is the last Israel, the second Israel, at least. So this time... Will God receive the glory he's worthy of from his people? Well, Adam responded to Satan's temptations to doubt God's word, but Jesus responds to Satan's temptations with God's word. And he succeeded where Adam failed. He succeeded where Israel failed. He didn't turn to idols. He trusted in his father implicitly, 100%, all the time. And through Jesus, God was bringing his new covenant to bear, through which he would recreate his people, giving them new life, a a new heart through his spirit within them. God, through his son, was creating a new creation, a new people to bring him glory where Adam failed, where Israel failed. And so we just see the storyline progressing to fever pitch. all to come crashing down in what appears to be another implosion as this perfect Israel, this perfect Adam is nailed to a cross. And he had brought God glory with every minute of his life. He had succeeded in every temptation, every trial where we hadn't. But now he's cast out of God's presence. He's turned away from his father. Why? Was this the twist in the story God never saw coming? No, it was the whole point of everything. Because Jesus was coming to be the perfect second Adam so he could bear our sin as Adam's descendants. And we might come back into eternal fellowship with God that Adam lost. Jesus was coming to be the perfect second Israel so he could bear Israel's sin. So we as God's people might be brought back into communion with him in worship and through the sacrifice of our, of our Savior. See, through the cross, Jesus was restoring what Adam lost but making it even better. One of the the themes throughout this story is a theme of image. Made in God's image. Image marred. But now in Christ, we are again imaging God to his glory. Jonathan Lehman, an author from whom I, I learned a lot of insights for this sermon and in this area, he puts it like this. In our sin, our imaging of God is broken And a false image is portrayed like a grotesque carnival mirror. But then he points out, and I love this, he points out how in Romans 8, Paul says that we now, 
have been predestined to be conformed to what? To the image of his son. See, as those recreated through Jesus Christ, as those given the victory over sin and death through his resurrection, we are being brought back to God, bringing glory to him again as we were designed to do, being conformed again to his image. And unlike Adam, we can never lose this reality again. The second Adam has secured it for us. So that's kind of where the story leads us up to now on September the 5th, 2021. And that brings us to our second point this morning, which is the glory. In the line of Abraham, Jesus has come. And God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham by bringing blessing to the whole world through Christ. And we are in Christ now, the people of God, the church. We are the new community of blood-bought saints, given God's covenant, washed clean of our sin, and given the task now to bring glory again to him. I was talking recently to somebody who was saying, I think one of their kids or something was asking them, like, well, now that I'm saved, I can just do whatever I want, right? And, of course, the Apostle Paul responds to that in Romans 6. But here we see that again. No, actually, you've been transferred from one servitude to another. And actually, your boss now knows exactly what's best for you, and serving him will give you what's best for you. You have a new task now. Your task has been changed from grit grit and and trying everything you can to bring glory to yourself now to proclaiming glory to him with your life. All the way back to Genesis 1, what we were designed to do. Remember back in Exodus 19, we read God's people Israel are coming to Sinai and, and they're told by God that they are this treasured possession, that they're a kingdom of priests, and that they're a holy nation, right? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. So in Exodus 19, Israel comes, they say, I, you're, God says, you're my treasure possession, you're a kingdom of priests, you're a holy nation. Now look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, where Peter is talking to the church. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. See the similar language? The church is the people of God, his holy nation. Why? Why have we been set aside, distinct from everyone else? Peter goes on. He says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Peter's saying, with this new life, with this new status as God's holy nation, go give him glory. This is the reason Adam was created This is the reason the church was created, to bring glory to God. 
Through the cross and resurrection of his son, through the church Jesus bought with his own blood, God is redeeming and restoring his creation to its purpose. To again fill the world with the proclamation that he alone is excellent. He alone is worthy. He alone should have all the glory. And that is the basic truth about why we exist as a church. God is using us to bring glory to himself. This has always been his plan. And it's not merely an individual purpose. God is recreating a people, a nation. Much of the New Testament is written to churches, to communities bound to Christ and to one another. We are made in God's image and now conformed into Christ's image so we might again proclaim a gospel that will fill the world with God's image, his glory, like it was always meant to be. See, back in Genesis 1, we saw what's called the creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam is told, go out into the earth, fill it with image bearers that will bring glory to God. And now we as the church are sent out with another mandate, the Great Commission mandate, where we're again told to go fill the earth with the image of God. Fill the earth by proclaiming the gospel that gives God glory and will create more and more men and women who are conformed to Christ's image, who will worship him alone. Aaron read for us earlier in Ephesians 3, where the Apostle Paul says it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is getting glory through us, church. As Jonathan Lehman puts it once again, God intends to use the corporate life of the local church to accomplish his creation purposes, displaying his wise, holy, and loving image for all the world to see. So that's where we are in the story. The end is coming, though, where Jesus the judge will come and redeem his people once and for all, casting into eternal judgment those who have rejected him. And the new heavens and the new earth will be even better than the Garden of Eden. For eternity, we will live with God and bring him eternal glory, as we were meant to do. So what is our purpose as the church, as we think more nuts and boltsy going into the weeks ahead about this local church and what we do in this local church? What is this all about? Why do we do this thing called church? Bring God glory. He is using us, the universal church, and us, Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, to restore the glory he is worthy of in his creation. That is why we exist. That is why we read the Bible together. That is why we get together and confess sin to one another and seek to walk in holiness together. That is why we share the Lord's Supper together. That is why we have community groups. That is why I emailed a bunch of you this past week to see if you wanted to be involved in a one-to-one Bible study. 
That is why we make meals for those who just had surgery or a baby. That is why we pray through the church directory in our private devotions where nobody else sees it. That's why we give of our money to see the gospel go out in this church. That is why you pay me a salary so I don't have to work on something else, but I can set aside time to study God's word and teach our church family and lead us by God's grace forward. It's all for God's glory. Now, perhaps you're kind of like, duh, at this point. Yeah, I mean, I could have seen this coming. We always talk about that. God's the best. We're all going to glorify him forever. So maybe for you, this might seem like a huge concept that it's hard to find practical for you today. But I think it's the important place to start a series on the church. Because this is the big why for why we exist. We are part of a storyline, and it's the storyline of all existence, all creation. We've come from somewhere, all of us. We've come from somewhere as a church, and we're going somewhere. In a way, the church is where all history has been pointing. And in part, through us, the goal of history is going to be achieved, which is the glory of God from all nations, from all creation. He will do this. He has promised. See, the church is a big deal. Hopefully next week we'll see more of how the church universal is manifested in the church local how it's made up of many members, individual Christians. But for now, just sit back and be reminded that this thing that we do is a really big deal. It's not just about the morning service, as important as that is. It's not just about thinking as churches as optional based on how busy you are, or maybe just optional for the super religious types among us. It's not just about what Sunday school classes are offered or how good the worship band is or what kind of youth groups are offered. All good things. The church is about the purpose of everything. Jesus died for his church so we could once again bring glory to his father. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you... You've lived your whole life as a Christian, but you, you know deep down inside you've never really committed. Or maybe you're fine with being open about the fact that you're not a follower of Christ. If so, thanks for being with us. It's our honor to have you. But perhaps your experience with Christianity and Christians has not been a good one. Because many of the Christians you've known have been super arrogant, holier than thou, and have, without apology, try to glorify themselves, even at your expense. Friend, we regretfully but openly own that sin. We are still tempted, like Adam, to get the glory for ourselves. But this storyline we've been talking about, the storyline of God's grace, especially how he judged his son for our sin, this stuff gets us excited Because we know we need to be delivered. We know that we're needy. We know we can't do what we need to do to get right with God. And we've discovered that we're never content when we're striving for our own glory. 
but that we're kind of inexplicably happy and satisfied when we get none of the glory and he gets all of it. There's this weird joy that comes at the end of that that we're kind of strangers to sometimes, but we want more of. So friend, forgive us for sinning against you. And don't find your hope in us. Find your hope in the Savior who died to purchase the church for himself and conform it more to him. Turn to him. Repent of your sin and trust in what he did on the cross to take God's judgment for you. And church, what should we take away from today? I mean, this is indeed a 30,000, maybe 40,000 foot overview of why we exist But I think perhaps the one thing you can take away is just the humble realization that you and our church here at Loudoun Valley Baptist are part of something way bigger than you and our church here at Loudoun Valley Baptist. What a humbling, wonderful truth that we have been commissioned by our King to be a people set apart to bring God glory. Let's pray to the end. Let's sing to the end. Let's live to the end as Loudoun Valley Baptist Church because this is why we exist, because this is our purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that oftentimes the different books and stories of the Bible can seem disjointed and disconnected. We're so grateful to have just spent a little bit of time tracing the unifying story of your redemption from Genesis all the way to the end. And we're humbled to realize that we are a key player in it. And so, Lord, we want to bring you glory. We want to do that even if we don't get any of it. We are confident that a culture built on that sacrificial, humble posture will make our church a wonderful place to be a part of. So Lord, be with us now as we sing. May it come from our hearts that the glory not go to us, but all glory be to Christ.